When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Bay. On, on today's episode, we should be talking about United's best performance of the season in which they absolutely dominated against Tottenham Hotspur, but that's all been brushed to one side for now. Um, Eric Ten Hag probably a bit frustrated that his pre-match press conference ahead of Chelsea was dictated all about Ronaldo chat, but... I guess that's what happens when you sign a player because stardom, really, no matter what he does, it is the main story. I'm joined today by our two heavy hitters anyway, who I'm delighted to say haven't stormed out. Uh, Samuel Luckers, how are you doing? <laughs> Very well, thank you. I, 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 I'm pretty sure it's not me who's got a Spanish person in the background. I see ties at the CFA, so that, that it would make sense if it's at his base. And yeah, Ty, how are you doing? You're behind enemy lines today for the Manchester Red podcast. I am, yes. Yes, I've been at um, Pep's press conference. Um, so yes, that might be why you're here, can hear um, some, some excellent Spanish or Brazilian uh, to the to the left of me. But no, I haven't stormed back, but I will be leaving this podcast after 29 minutes. So uh, just, just be aware that I won't be here until the end. And in terms of the press conference with Pep, was that... Any mention of Ronaldo there? Or was that a uh, break? No, there wasn't. It was a nice break. It, it is one of those situations where normally he would probably get asked about it um, just because you know, so much United stuff makes a story and how much they tried to sign him last year. So, not in a normal week, I think it might well have been asked of him. But, of course, there's been so much going on with City this week in the fallout to Liverpool that, no, it was uh, it was a Ronaldo-free zone. I guess the part of the City press conference was the only chance he had of getting any United team news or review of the Tottenham game as well. Because, Samuel, <laughs> you were at Carrington this yeah. morning and... It was hard to sort of remember that United had just played so well in midweek. It was all about Ronaldo today, wasn't it? It was. I'm trying to think. I think maybe two, at the very most, three questions were not on Ronaldo. And there would have been probably close to two dozen questions asked there today in the open and the embargoed sections. And that, that was inevitable. And that was that was the way it should be as well. It's, it's a huge story when the biggest probably the biggest athlete on the planet, the biggest sports person on the planet, um, and maybe the the greatest player in, in football's history refuses to come on for the, one of the biggest clubs in the world and then disappears down the tunnel in the 90th minute. Uh, you can't tolerate that. Uh, there, there's been a lot of people, um, there've been a lot of people defending Ronaldo in recent weeks over him being an unused substitute, over him not starting games. It's almost become, certainly with the former United players, uh, Ronaldo has become their Solskjaer in that last season, none of them could bring themselves to say Solskjaer wasn't up to it or he, he had to go. And now none of them can actually bring themselves to say that Ronaldo's behaviour in midweek was just just abhorrent. Um, I mean, the, the way Patrice Evra attempted to deal with it on Amazon Prime was, was risible. Uh, credit to Gabby Logan for... Uh, pressing him and, and Thierry Henry as well, who 
really has never ex particularly distinguished himself as a pundit and how they don't want to talk about it because Man United played so well. Well, as Gabby Logan said, we wouldn't be talking about it if he hadn't have gone down the tunnel. And really, Ronaldo has underestimated Ten Hag too many times. Uh, Ten Hag is not a mug. You see certain stories um, from the same journalists coming out about Ronaldo. You know who the source of them is. You know what the intention of them um, is as well. One of them majorly undermined Ten Hag the other week. Uh, ever, ever since their first public exchange um, during that Real Vallecano friendly, they it, it was quite brusque and borderline tetchy then. Then you discover that Ronaldo actually left the game before it even finished. He was the only player who who did that. Um, more recently, yeah, the, the, in August, he said, oh, I'm doing an interview in two weeks. You'll hear all about it then. Two months later, we're still waiting for that. That was because he wanted out and he thought he was going to get out, but he, he didn't get out. And although Ten Hag has been a bit clumsy with his handling at times, such as when he gave his rationale for Ronaldo not coming on against City and how it was out of respect for his his big career, he he had to act over this latest transgression. And Ronaldo has been pushing his luck uh, too many times, even certain comments on Instagram that seem inoffensive, like, oh, the king plays someday. Well, you know, that, that he's effectively giving out team news there, even if it's a friendly, but that is a form of a power play. And it's reassuring for United fans that the manager has authority again. And we knew that in the summer anyway, and we sensed that. But Ten Hag has dealt with this brilliantly. Uh, you, you can't fault it. He really had to nip that in the bud quite quickly. It was good that the club stressed how supportive they were of Ten Hag's decision as well. Uh, in, in what they communicated to, to journalists uh, yesterday. And Ronaldo was backed into a corner. And really, that 170-word statement he put out last night, he all, he, all he had to do was use one word, which was sorry, but he couldn't bring himself to say that. It, it, he almost made excuses, uh, an excuse for himself in the, in the heat of the moment. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's, uh, it, it got the better of him, but he still didn't apologise. And look, I'm sure a lot of United fans can remember uh, the controversy surrounding Carlos Tevez when he refused to come on for Roberto Mancini in, in Munich, uh, going back what 11 years ago, and how disgraceful that was. And you know, with Ronaldo, you just don't associate it with him. And in fairness, he he, he kind of highlighted that as well, saying how he tries to be a, a, an example to younger players, and he prides himself in his professionalism, but he abandoned it in midweek. Uh, it was completely uncalled for what he did. You can't excuse it. You can't defend it. There will be some absolute head cases out there who will defend him because of his rabid following. But look, all of us on here, we've praised Ronaldo since he came back to United. We've also criticised him as well. He has not recovered from pre-season in that he missed that pre-season tour. Ten Hag settled on the blueprint for his attack. United have had their best results and they've produced their best performances without Ronaldo this season. So whereas he wasn't a problem at all last season, I'd always argue, he he has become a problem um, this season. And credit to Ten Hag, he's, he's managed the situation superbly. And any lingering doubts there may have been that he didn't have the authority or the disciplinarian streak to deal with, you know, players with egos the size of planets, that they have been quashed now. 
would be a far stretch to say he'd ever sort of tarnish his career at United and certainly the legacy he's left. He's still a club legend, he's still adored and, and rightfully so for, for a lot of reasons. But Ty, I think obviously the recent events and particularly this season, playing now for a manager who doesn't really owe him anything, who's got no previous loyalty to him, has maybe exposed some of those those truths about him. What next then? Do you think that he serves his time in the, you know, training alone, he's frozen out for this weekend, maybe even another game and slowly integrated back? Or do you think that's it? That he needs to be made an example of and there's no way coming back from this? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as we were saying about Liz Tross a week ago, it's over. It's just a matter of when now. And <laughs> it's, you know, he is, the, the, I don't think there is any coming back from that. It, it, it was interesting that United are still saying last night he's an important member of the first team squad. The reality is he's not. He started two Premier League games, which are two of the poorest performances of the season. The defeat to Brentford and the draw with Newcastle. He's played in nondescript Europa League games. They might ask him to play against Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup. Um, that's that's about it. There's there's four Premier League games left, I think, before the World Cup. Something would have to go wrong for Ronaldo. You know, Rash would have to be injured for Ronaldo to start any of those, really. Um, and that's presuming Martial's unavailable for all of them as well. It's just, you know, I just don't see a scenario where it happens, um, partly because of this and, and what has happened, but also United are a better team when he's not in the team. That's just the reality at the moment. He 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 doesn't function in in what Ten Hag wants. He clearly, you, you know, you certainly get the impression that he doesn't like playing the way Ten Hag wants. And, you know, this is, this is a simple comparison, but you look at the performance against Newcastle and you look at the performance against Tottenham, there's one difference fundamentally, and that's Ronaldo's in the team for the for Newcastle, and he's not in the team for Tottenham, and that was the only change. And all right, there's there's differences there. Newcastle were were a, a tougher test in a way, bizarre as it sounds, against Tottenham. Tottenham were strangely passive, um, but the reality is they just look a better team when Ronaldo is is not in the team, um, and I, I don't see how that changes at the moment. I don't, you know, he's 37. He's not suddenly going to become the kind of player Ten Hag wants. So I, I think it's over. I think the best the best case scenario for all parties is that it ends in January. United will be hoping, I think, he has a good World Cup, gets four or five goals and a, and a reasonable suitor that appeals to him comes in in January. But I don't see any way that this, I, I don't see any way of recovering this really, um, heading, heading even beyond, you know, I mean, the next big thing is Monday and, and what happens on Monday? Is he back in the first team squad? Does he start in a rotated team against Sheriff? Does he want to start in a rotated team against Sheriff? You now, as Sam has said, this idea of disrespecting him, it's it's a nonsense. He's he's the same as any other player in that squad. You're employed by the by the club and it's the manager to pick the best team. And if he thinks you're not in the best team, that's just the reality. There's you don't get in the team out of respect. And you don't get in the team because you've got had a phenomenal career. At this moment, he's not in the best team, and it's the manager to to pick that. And as much as he I mean, we, it wasn't an apology, really, was it? Because, like Samuel says, he didn't say sorry or apologise. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like that's the end of it to me. If if he comes back on Monday, he's asked to start on Thursday. You know, it doesn't feel to me like this is the end of it. It doesn't feel to me like would Tenag trust him to start? Would Ronaldo want to play in that game? Because something, something, something in his mind forced him to do what he did on Wednesday. There was no good reason for it, and no a good reason to refuse to come on, to walk off down the tunnel. It's, it's whatever's been building, whatever frustration is there. And I don't think that will suddenly change because he's been made an example of. If anything, arguably, it, it might make it worse. So, no, I don't I don't see a situation where in a couple of weeks it's all rosy and he's he's back in the team. I think this is the, 
this is the the end of the end and it's just a matter of, of when it happens now. Yeah, exactly. Like I said there, the trust is just clearly broken both ways in that relationship, isn't it? And even if Ten Hag did integrate him again, what's to say he doesn't do it again further down the line if there's a game he feels he should be on and he doesn't get introduced into. But I suppose, you know, we are feeding the narrative even more by indulging that, Samuel. And the main talking point this week is that United have played really well. And as Ty said there, it was a game that Ronaldo dropped out of. And I guess also encouraging from United fans' point of view is Ericsson started on the bench, Marshall was missing. The two players we've said United have been over-reliant on all season, United have managed to not only win without them, but to win in very convincing fashion. Well, that was the frustrating thing, even as journalists, that when we caught Ronaldo, uh, well, it was Amazon's cameras, very, very uh, late, just saw him going down the tunnel. You just thought, oh, this has been a purely positive night and now it's all going to be about the star player doing that and, and understandably so and we, we have to we have to react to that but the performance from united i was trying to wrap my brains but i i thought for me it was their best performance in five and a half years going back to the two nil win over chelsea under Mourinho in in april 2017 i think it was when he played a back three and rashford and lingard were up from they, they were so dominant that day they should have won that game um, by a greater margin. It's probably the game best remembered for Herrera's man-marking job on, on Hazard. It was probably Herrera's best ever game for United. And there were certain similarities in midweek in that Fred was phenomenal. He'd recovered from um, mourning dear Don Booth's departure from, from the Manchester Evening News. And he he produced uh, he, he produced a career high for, for his greatest fan against Spurs. He was, from, from the... Really, from the start, he was he was terrific. He was playing the right passes. He started as brilliantly as he started badly against Newcastle three days earlier. And some people must have thought, "Who is this? The same footballer?" It, it was it was poles apart um, that those two performances. And I was I was surprised he didn't get the man of the match award. I think that went to Fernandez. But you had two really authoritative central midfielders. You had a couple of imposing centre-backs, proactive full-backs, fluid front three. Uh, Fernandez probably had his best game of the season. Obviously, he won the ball back to instigate the attack for the first goal. De, De Gea's distribution was even um, a hell of a lot better. Like In terms of box-ticking the positives, almost every box was ticked other than them not scoring as many goals as they should have. And that that's maybe the only slither of hope for Ronaldo in terms of somehow getting back into the United team if he indeed wants to. It's that Rashford was terrific the other night, but unfortunately he still cannot score as a centre forward. But the ends are justifying the means because they they play a lot quicker with um with these with these 20 something forwards. Uh, they're, they're more flexible. I thought Anthony had a really good game as well. Um, there was there was a purpose about him. Uh, sometimes when he's rolling his studs over the ball, he can look a bit too frivolous. But he he had Tottenham on toast at times, and it was it was probably his best game. I'd I'd say it just about eclipsed the the Everton performance. So to have done that all of that without not not so much without Ronaldo, but without the totemic Christian Eriksen, who is is still one of their most important players made it all the more impressive and that's what must have made it particularly frustrating for Ten Hag that he then had to deal with the star player doing what he did but Wednesday night was the night where United really needs really reached what what must be their optimum under under Ten Hag. Ty I guess it's a 
maybe a difficult question to answer really for you the one coming up but why was it so different then because you mentioned obviously there was one change and it said it seemed like it was a lot more than just not having Ronaldo in the team though because we mentioned Fred you know he was so lucky to stay on at half time against Newcastle the fullbacks I thought were excellent as well against Tottenham everything came together it's easy to say this is the blueprint going forward but how do you not United actually go in and make this the norm now how do they raise it the standards because so often a season we've seen them have these little moments not the complete performance but little moments where they've shown signs of progress and and like they've turned a, a corner and they end up going around in circles again how do United actually keep up this momentum now yeah, I don't. It's hard to say because, like you say, the, the performances were poles apart. I do think there was a degree of Tottenham being sort of willing participants in it. They've seems strange to say about a team who were third in the league and had their best ever Premier League start, but they've been weirdly passive for a Conte team this season. They don't look as fit and as hungry as you expect from his team, and they were just overrun. I thought on on Wednesday. And for me, the best thing about that United performance wasn't the quality on the ball, how well certain players play. It was the intensity of it and the aggressiveness of it. And that's what Tottenham couldn't live with. They just didn't want to know. United were that intense, that aggressive, that hungry and winning the ball back. And that's what it was built on. And there was a, there was a span in the second half where you, the, the fans were cheering every time they won the ball back in the opposition half. And it must have happened 10 times in 10 minutes at one point. And Tottenham just, it was like they were suffocated. They couldn't breathe through that intensity. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that needs repeating from week to week to week now, because that is the Ten Hag blueprint. It was the best pressing performance by absolute miles, I thought, on the Ten Hag, by a long, long way. Um, Fred, we've always said that one of Fred's biggest strengths is the ability to press. He did that really well. He played a much more advanced role than he has been doing. Um, I thought he was a lot better, actually. Kind of, he was almost an, a number eight alongside Fernandez, and I think he had. I think him and Fernandez both had six shots, which was the most in the game. I mean, that's unprecedented for for Fred. Really, there was a couple of through balls in the first half. One that created that um, the defender just got to, but created that Anthony lob that almost went in. The one that created Rashford's best chance of the first half was a brilliant through ball, I thought. Um, and just his ability to win the ball back, knowing when to press, interceptions, reading of the play. Like Samuel, I was surprised he wasn't man of the match. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, they, they do have to they have to match it again, and they have to you know they have they have to that has to be the benchmark now because it was easily the standout performance under Ten Hag, the standout performance for a long, long time. But the, the the thing I would most want to see from it repeated is that that aggression really because it just felt like a much more aggressive performance than we've seen and last season especially they were such a passive team, you know they would. They, whatever excuse me, whatever game they played, whoever they played against, it felt like the game was played on the opposition's terms. Even if they were playing Brighton last year, Brentford last year, Leicester last year, it felt like it was played on the opposition's terms. On Wednesday, it felt like it was played on United's terms, that they were the more aggressive side. I think a big a big part of the change is that we've kind of, we've seen this, there, there, is, still, there is still some English players in that squad, some important English players on and off the pitch, but it feels like that squad is now South American at heart, really. There was four South American starters, a couple of Portuguese starters. You've, you've got obvious links there, and they, you know, it, it, it's a cliche, but they often play with with a little bit more intensity, more aggression, more hunger, and you kind of see that in the team. And it feels like it's changed this year from a team that Solskjaer wanted to build around an English core to one that's got maybe a South American core. And I think with that, you're seeing a more obvious 
aggression to their play and and that that is what i would want to see moving forward and want to see repeated tomorrow they might they won't find it as easy against chelsea but i think if they're playing like that and and trying to do the same things then then the fans will accept that samuel i suppose you know we've spoken about this week's been dominated by ronaldo but just as important then and the person who maybe should be making headlines is ten hag himself he's made big decisions on and off the pitch he's orchestrated an incredible win playing the way he wants to. He's made a big call with Ronaldo himself. And it does feel like, you know, he really has established himself now and got every, well, everyone almost bar Ronaldo on side and, and believing and, and, and buying into the way he wants him to play. He feels like he is a proper United manager now. Absolutely. I think when we were on the tour, we we came away from it with a higher opinion of him and everyone had a high opinion anyway because of what he'd done with Ajax, but observing him and spending a little bit of time with him, you could see even more why United did appoint him and that's been the case coming into the season. I think it's probably why he was so angry with the performance against City in the that day he made one change, he took Ronaldo out of the team. And unfortunately for them, for United, they were 6-1 down at some at one stage in the second half. And there was a bit of a Ronaldo sideshow after that game as well. And that, that was mainly because the forwards, the front four that day, were dreadful. They were more problematic than the two midfielders or the back four. And obviously, Malassia came off at half-time and he had a dreadful, dreadful game. But there was a lot of scrutiny um, in, in the aftermath on, on how the wingers didn't protect the fullbacks and how easy it was for City to um, transition the ball from their third into United's third. And almost Wednesday was as much of a repost to that game as it was to the Newcastle match, which was so, so flat. And again, the performances were poles apart. United were so uninspiring on Saturday. There were some boos at the end of the game, not all of them intended for the referee. And then they've you know, produced what they did in midweek, which again, it, it's, it must be their best performance in five and a half years for sheer dominance from start to finish. Um, the the calibre of, of the opponent, the calibre of the coach, and you know, it's, it's just a, happens to be a coincidence that Chelsea side were also managed by, by Conte five and a half years ago. But to turn it on the way they did and knowing that had Tottenham won, they'd have been 10 points clear of United, which would have been significant at this stage of the season. It, it really does reflect well on Ten Hag that he can make two bold calls as he did. I mean, we, we got some of the uh, team news tips before they were confirmed, fortunately. And when I was told that Fred was still starting, I was thinking, really, even if Ericsson isn't fit, then you'd think McTomney would come in. But Fred did start, um, completely vindicated. Decision to revert to Sancho Rashford was was vindicated as well. There's still work to be done there. I thought Sancho was probably United's weakest player in midweek and, and Rashford has still not got that elusive goal as a starting centre-forward. But otherwise, his his performance was as, as close as you can get to a complete centre-forward's performance without the centre-forward actually scoring. So, yeah, Ten Hag will be... Absolutely desperate for, for Rashford to to, to get goals uh, as as a number nine in in the coming weeks, and he he is improving players as well uh, individually, collectively. Uh, he's made the the bold calls he's made not just on Wednesday night, but the start of the season. There's a peculiar power struggle between Ronaldo and Harry Maguire. What does he do? He takes both of them out of the team uh, for Liverpool at home, and they win. 
Um, so he's he's make these bold calls almost are almost always being rewarded with really good performances, really good results. They've won three of their four games against the top six already. City was you know, it was a it was a disaster. They they clawed it back a little bit, and the scoreline still had had a more flattering look. But it it does all go well for United that they've gone through this process of effectively choosing between Ten Hag and Pochettino. And I, I was I was one of them who said that you know I think it should be Pochettino. He was the one I'd I'd have gone for. But Ten Hag has has shown. And it's shown long before Wednesday night as well that he truly belongs in the Premier League. And you can see why Spurs interviewed him last year and you can see why Guardiola suggested he'd have been um, ideal to to replace him at City. Yeah, I think, interestingly enough, in the first piece we did, I think I backed Potter for the United job, which you know, now he's Chelsea manager. It's going to be an interesting matchup this weekend. And we'll go to the Chelsea game in a minute, though, Ty. But in terms of, I suppose, coming into Chelsea anyway, United... Other than the City game, which we know was a, a car crash of a day, they have beaten Liverpool, Arsenal and Tottenham at home. And you expect two of those, at least in Liverpool and Spurs, to be the team that they might be challenging for, for the top four anyway. Arsenal look, you know, a, a more accomplished side at the moment, more rounded. But you have beaten those teams around them largely this season. So they must be confident this weekend heading to Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I think they will be. And I think Chelsea have been solid under Potter so far and, and probably not spectacular. Before Wednesday, I thought their record against that their record in terms of beating Arsenal, Liverpool, Arsenal and Liverpool, and even managing to score three against City, kind of played into this idea that they were still a counter-attacking team. They were still at their best going forward in a way against better teams who give them space to play. It, it felt, you know, I, I did a piece before the Tottenham game that it felt like they they looked more likely to score against those teams because they had more space to to attack into against those teams. And teams like Newcastle come and, and defend deep and put 10 member on the ball, they, they lack the creativity to to break them down. And, and although they had a lot of shots against Newcastle, a lot of shots against Omanaya, they didn't have a lot of clear chances. But on Wednesday, that you know, that was a, a complete performance. That wasn't a counter-attacking performance. That that had a bit of everything. And the best thing about it, like I said before, the pressing in that game, and you know, I think it was Klopp years ago who said that an effective press is basically the best number 10 you're ever going to have because if you're winning the ball back 30 yards from goal, 40 yards from goal when the opposition team aren't set, in a way, it doesn't matter who's winning it, the the options are going to be, there's going to be a lot of options against an unstructured team and, and that's that's why managers press as, as aggressively as they do and, and you saw that on Wednesday night for United and you know they, they had a lot of shots again on Wednesday night but they had a lot of good chances as well. They could have easily scored five, six there. Um, so, I, you know, I, like you say, I think they will be confident against Chelsea. Their their record against the top six this year, aside from City, is excellent. Um, they had to defend, uh, and it was back to the wall at times against Liverpool and Arsenal, but they still beat them. And they've just they've got to be confident, I think, from from that performance and the whole the whole thing about Wednesday night. You know, it, it even for for what happened, Ronaldo, it, it felt like the start of something really, rather than the end of something when pretty much every match at Old Trafford for the last 12 months had felt like the end of something. This this felt like the beginning. Um, and just in, in terms of the way the fans bought into it as well. Mm. So I think, you know, confidence levels this weekend must be as high as they've been for this squad um, in, in a year at least. So they've got to go there thinking we can, we can get a result, definitely. 
In terms of United's own recent record with Chelsea as well, Chelsea are winless in their last nine Premier League meetings of United, though the last four encounters between the teams have been draws. So, you know, that probably signals that it will be quite a tight encounter this weekend again. But, I mean, who knows what will happen. Samuel, in terms of United's actual approach to the game then, like you, surprised by the way United did line up in midweek, but it was vindicated. Does that mean that Ten Hag should go unchanged again this weekend? Or do you think there is reason to bring Ericsson in? I, I think in my selector, I've put Ericsson in on the left instead of Sancho. But there are options now. that The bench might not be very full and you know full of variety, but there are two or three players who, who are on the periphery who feel they should be starting now. Ericsson is the only case you could make for this weekend. I really don't see any any need to change anything anywhere else. And you, you'd still, just on the strength of that performance in midweek, go with the same starting eleven. And, and Ericsson, I think, has got the, the capabilities to be a game-changer as well, if he is indeed needed um, in the second half at some stage. So for, for this week, I'd, I'd, I'd keep it unchanged, which, again, just uh, highlights what, what a good performance, brilliant performance it was in, in midweek. And... All of those players, almost all of them, have to start on, on on Saturday. I agree with you that Sancho is the one that, if there would say, if Marshall was back and he was he'd come on in midweek and he was available to start this weekend, then I think you put Marshall up front and Sancho on the left. But putting Ericsson on there, it, it would change the dynamic of it a little bit and it's it's not like City where one left-sided player comes out another one comes in and they play exactly the same way United are still a, a long long way off that level so it, it would be I, I'd certainly go with an unchanged team um, you know and, and they also need to be conscious of having someone dependable on reserve in, in reserve on the bench because they're not going to have Ronaldo this weekend. They've not got Marshall uh, again this weekend, which um, which is a pity for them. It's it's difficult to think of other attack-minded players who are going to make a, a big difference when Ilanga's not scored since February. Garnacho is, you know, it's it feels like he's on work experience really in these games. Facundo Palestri uh, is still waiting to get off the bench more than more than two years into his into his United career. So I, I think it's probably sensible to just to keep Ericsson back, but then I suppose it plays into Chelsea's hands a little bit in there that they can prepare for. Ericsson being the obvious game changer that Ten Hag would would turn to if if indeed he needed to. I guess that maybe even speaks confident of United though, Ty, doesn't it? That United go into a big away game and we're not saying play three at the back or play a false nine. If they play to their strengths and do what they've been doing as recently as midweek, then they should be confident of of getting something from the game at least. But what is your feeling ahead of the match? Do you think that United can go out there and replicate what they did on Wednesday night because it is so much easier said than done to actually go out and, and do that again, particularly against a Chelsea side who, like I said, have been decent under Potter and, you know, aren't going to be pushovers. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be very difficult to to exactly recreate it. And I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be a degree that we'll find out just how much of that performance was down to Tottenham being so passive and, and so welcoming opponents. I think Chelsea have maybe kept five clean sheets in a row under Potter. Kepa's been fantastic recently. So I think it's going to be difficult to recreate it. I think you know you'd, you'd take a draw away at Chelsea. I think even if United were going for the title, you'd take a draw away at Chelsea. So I think yeah. that'd be a, a decent result. Um, you know the the kind of stuff is this you'd have got is scoring goals. We mentioned Rashford before and his kind of lack of ruthlessness at number nine. But it is, I think it's another another day where we'll find out more about this United side. And if they go to Chelsea and perform 
close to the standards they set on Wednesday, then it will definitely feel like momentum is is really gathering behind Tenard. Is that Freddie in the background, Ty? It is, yeah. <laughs> Cardello, yeah. So I guess final question for both of you then. What's the what's the outcome gonna be? I'm not asking for scores, but maybe more of a, a result. Do you think United will avoid defeat this weekend, Samuel? Do you think they can get something from Chelsea? I'd I'd go with draw because Chelsea have looked very impressive under Potter and their whole strategy of sacking the manager quite decisively has, has paid off so far. Uh, Potter's a brilliant coach and he's he's doing a very good job there. He has stabilised it. It's a much happier camp. Uh, it'd be a hell of a coup for Ten Hag if, if United do go there and, and inflict, inflict a first defeat on Chelsea under Potter. But I, I, I'd go with draw. I think that, that might be quite a few people's gut instinct. Uh, yeah. so you can answer in English or Portuguese, but I suppose there is the, uh, <laughs> there is that that extra element, you know, that Ten Hag didn't want to get pushed on it today, did he? He was coy when he was asked about it in his press conference, but he's already been thoroughly beaten by Potter once this season. You know, they were great mm. in, that, in that opening mm. game. Yeah. So playing him again, but a different team, different players, it is a very a different test. And Ten Hag said it's not manager versus manager, it's United versus Chelsea, but maybe that does play on his mind a bit. Possibly, yeah, possibly. Um you know, it, it doesn't feel like Potter's quite got the same um, system working as well at Chelsea as he had at Brighton. But yeah, perhaps it does play on his mind. Um, I think he's been changing formation a lot, at least when he was quizzed by Thomas Frank on, on Tuesday night. That's what he said, or Wednesday night, was it? Um, so yeah, I, I, think, I think it's going to be a really tight game. You can see it being a draw. Both teams have been pretty solid defensively recently. Um, so I, I, with Samuel, I can feel it. I, I can see it being a real tight game and and a draw but I do think you know it's 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 two good managers going up against each other as well and two two inventive managers like you I think I think you know Potter would have been a worthy candidate for United there's absolutely no doubt about that and he's he has done an excellent job and he's already doing a, a good job at Chelsea as well well you've both uh got me excited for the nil-nil draw anyway you've both given me enough excitement going into it that you know it will still be end-to-end but there'll just be no goals for us I think they were the worst they were the worst uh behind closed doors games as well like they were Unfortunately, mm. memorably bad for those who were there. To the two nil nils in twenty twenty one. Yeah, Edson, Edson Cavani's debut. I think the first one was. Wow, well, I mean that is a fact that I didn't need to know, but I will check. No, no, that's, that's your, Friday, your Friday enriched there definitely. And yeah, I'm sure wherever you are in the world as well, you've just been enriched by that fact as well. But we will be back on Monday to dissect whatever happens at Stamford Bridge this weekend and look ahead to another busy week for United as well. So Samuel, Ty, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. And again, thank you very much wherever you are in the world. As always, please leave a like, subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.